You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode number two of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast and our first guest on the, the show's history uh, is a good friend of mine, uh, Jack Hanratty. Uh, he's an Irishman based in Nova Scotia. Uh, he's been there for three years. Uh, Nova Scotia is achieving great results as a, as a product of his hard work and uh, a huge thanks to him for coming on the show and being the first guest. So thanks very much, Jack, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You, you're currently based in Nova Scotia. What's what's your backstory to to where you got to now? Um, what kind of led to you becoming the provincial head coach for Nova Scotia rugby? Yeah, it's a, it's always a, a big question. How did you end up in in Nova Scotia? Was it a reward, or were you shipped <laughs> off there? Um, I'm familiar with penal colonies. So. Yeah, I'm enjoying being here. It's a, it, uh, working in rugby full time, no matter what you do, is is a is a pleasure. Um, and you have to remind yourself on a regular basis that it is, it is such a a, a lucky job that you have. Um, I got a, my first opportunity. I uh, when I left school, I was I was very conscious of of being involved in sport, being involved in rugby, and I think nearly every 18 year old has that. Thing. <laughs> we're all going to be involved in rugby all of us are going to get full-time jobs in yeah, in, yeah. in rugby and and uh, there's only very few of us that actually got lucky with it or realized that uh, the money isn't that great so everyone else leaves <laughs> but i went for an interview uh, for a university course there was a brand new course that was coming up for a uh, a rugby a degree in rugby and business or a degree in rugby and communications so it was the first thing that came up I was very interested in it because I really wanted to take my coaching further because I'd been coaching in, in, in the club, my home club of Scaries for about, even about as soon as I was 15, I just wanted to coach. I, I was down there every Sunday morning trying to help out with the mini rugby structure or just if it was working in the sweet shop or cleaning the dressing rooms. I just really enjoyed the club culture and really enjoyed the my home club of Scaries. I'm a third generation guy um, of that club. My grandfather would have been one of the founding members and would have been president and captain. My uncle went on to be president and captain and my cousin went on to be captain. My my family, of myself and my brother, weren't good enough to ever be the club captain, unfortunately. Uh, when I went for that interview, um, I went in and I was at, answered, asked all these tough questions about coaching and about rugby structure. I was delighted with my answers and I remember thinking during it, you know, when something's going really well, I think I've nailed this. This is going to be great. I'm going to get the opportunity to study rugby. Um, At the end, I was offered what position or I was asked what position would I play if I arrived at the university? I said I was struggling with a few injuries and uh, I probably wouldn't be looking to play in the university team. Suddenly, I saw their body language completely turn, <laughs> and uh, I re- I quickly realised that this is a recruitment tool for their team as opposed to trying to develop the next level of coaches. So, as a an eighteen year old with a bit of attitude, I decided to phone one of the interview panel and say I thought I re- I did a very good interview. I'm upset that I don't get the opportunity to uh, go and study the course and. 
nobody said I needed to be a player to apply for this. Uh, he quickly said that he, he remembered my interview, which was always a good start, that he was uh, he was pleased I contacted him and then said, would I ever think about working in rugby development? So I ended up uh, applying for a job. He, he, he contacted me two weeks later and said, please interview for this job. So I interviewed for a, uh, a lower position with Leinster Rugby as a community development officer and uh, ended up getting it. And it was the start of my rugby development and, and coaching on a professional basis. I ended up, within the first year and a half of me taking the job, I ended up lecturing on the uh, on that university course that I that I didn't get into. So uh, <laughs> The irony. The irony of it. And I remember the the course director came in afterwards and said, uh, you guys are all trying to get a degree to get the job that this guy has. And as a chubby 19-year-old, it was a pretty good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's, um, uh, that's a great message there too, like for anyone going for any job there, if you if you don't get it, there's no harm in, in a follow-up call and, and just gets your name out there and gets you remembered and who knows where it goes from there. So that's great. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of rugby things is all about contacts and good relationships you have. Um, I know that any coaching team you're on, the knowledge is so important, but the 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 coaching philosophies and and just the the personalities are it's crucial. You need a good dynamic in any setup. Yeah. So so from from Leinster there, you you started doing some community rugby and and how long were you at Leinster for and and how did that kind of morph uh, your position? How did that how did that change and grow? Yeah, I, I was there for five years, and I was very much the jack of all trades. Uh, excuse the pun. Yeah, I had I had no issue in be it sweeping up the dressing room again. I was from the I was from the club setup. I just felt like if if your provincial team, which I mean, it was very close to representing your country. We've only got five provinces in Ireland, so when you represent your province. It's it's a pretty big deal. Um, I I always said that if they needed anything, through my five years, I ended up doing just from people not showing up to work or people being sick. I ended up doing PRO at one stage. Uh, I did pre-match announcer at one stage. I did state halftime interviews at one stage. I did manager at one stage, bagman at another stage. Uh, I did the mascot once. Uh, because I just said I'd, I'd always I now if I ever get to be the head coach of Leinster I think that's my uh, that's certainly my book title from mascot to head coach um, but uh, I, it did morph and it did develop when you're around those setups uh, and even being manager or making sure the water goes out you can't help but learn you're watching the training sessions absolutely you're 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 seeing the players interaction uh, and you're seeing even the 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 coaches meetings beforehand and how much detail goes into training sessions it was then that i ended up uh, getting part of my leinster role i became head of rugby in one of dublin's big universities dublin city university uh rugby wasn't very popular because it wasn't a club side it was a university so it was it was extra to club and uh we decided to go a different route. We decided to try and get some of the best players in the province to try and come out and play, but have it as them expressing themselves. They were coming, these players that we recruited on scholarship were involved with the Leinster Academy program or would have been involved in, in club programs, but everything was so structured that these 19, 20-year-olds 
didn't have an opportunity to play a bit of fun rugby. Mm. We came in with a mantra of just not trying to just win games by the skin of our teeth. We just wanted these players to express themselves and to to just play quite an open style of rugby. And for me as a coach, that got me to learn a lot. Yeah. Um, and we ended up having some really good scholarship players, some of which are contracted with Leinster, one of which has just been announced in the World Cup squad for Ireland. That's fantastic. So, yeah, it was it was an incredible feeling, and and we we I'm one of the things that we tried to do was get the women's and men's team to to unite a bit more, yeah. And that created a, a real force around campus. So I was delighted that I was involved during one of the most successful periods, and we changed a bit of the uh, culture that was there, and uh, we ended up having winning a, a few trophies, which was great to be a part of. That's fantastic. Um... Yeah, like, um, and your time at Leinster, like the the dates you were there. What what were the years that you were there? And like, because uh, there was some pretty, uh, pretty important like events occurring with Leinster rugby there. And like, who who were some of the big big names and people who kind of influenced you a lot in in that time? Yeah, I was I was lucky to. I came in first with with Michael Checker, who um, I always found him quite negative on the on the uh, the training park, but. Um, he had his role and I think people of Leinster and Ireland only saw how much he's done when Joe Smith came in afterwards um, Cheka completely changed the concept of, of rugby there they completely changed and was in my view one of the first professional coaches in Ireland he came in, he says himself he was lucky to get the position because it was a big job with some of the best players but Leinster were chokers at the time I think big players like O'Driscoll and, and Gordon Darcy have come out since saying, yes, we may have been chokers, but we didn't have the perfect winning environment. And that's what Cheka did. And he grew the big Leinster A setup that their second team had so many uh, so many more games and competitions to aim for. So when I was there, they, we ended up playing Munster in the semi-final. And uh, my uncle was actually coach of Leinster in 1995, which was the first European Cup semi-final that Leinster ever reached. Awesome. There was 800 people in the stands <laughs> uh, to watch the semi-final of the European Cup, and Leinster lost by one score to Cardiff. In 2005, 10 years later, which was um, Czech's Heineken Cup semi-final, there was uh, 85,400 sellout. And that just showed how much it developed over ten years. Absolutely. So that was a, a that Heineken Cup in 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 Murrayfield. All our staff got an email from the chief executive to say we will pay for you guys to all go and enjoy this experience. I wasn't heavily involved at the time, and um, so we got to go with staff members, and it was phenomenal. Just an incredible event, and we didn't think it would ever happen again. Two years later. 2011, um, we get an opportunity to go again. This time we're in, in Twickenham. Uh, sorry, we're not. We're in the Millennium Stadium for the, the one of the greatest games I'd, I'd ever seen. I was more involved this time just with the setup, not in a coaching capacity, but just um, in, in, a, in more of a branding uh, capacity. I would have been coaching some of the underage teams at this stage, but being in Cardiff for the Northampton game, where Leinster were down by so many points at half time and then demolishing Northampton in the second half. Yeah, I remember that was that I think, game. Yeah. That was that was the joke the start of Joe Smith. He came in with a, a complete 
different temperament and different environment, but he inherited a, a wonderful environment. And Joe Smith was very much different to Cheka. He wanted his hands in everything that was Leinster, and that included us as coaches and us as development officers. That's great. Uh, it's a couple of couple of massive names there. What do you, what do you think of the current setup now with um, Matt O'Connor leaving and Leo Cullen coming in? Like Leo Cullen, I talk about a Leinster legend. Um, first first coaching like big coaching appointment. I, I don't know what his coaching history is. I think he did some. Uh, assistant coaching with Matt O'Connor, if, if I'm yeah, right. Yeah, he, he took over as forwards coach from John O'Gibbs, and John O'Gibbs has a, has a very uh, good pass behind him, and the players are uh, speak very highly of John O. He, he brought in that kind of ferocity at the breakdown. I think Leo has inherited that, but you know, in his first press conference, you you hear that he he says that it's a uh, it's such a big job you can't turn it down and that kind of worried me that you yeah. know is he is he taking this job because it's there or is he taking it because he feels it's ready we've made a couple of mistakes in ireland where we where we throw former players in as head coaches and they haven't had a chance to learn but he's a very intelligent guy um and and i i hope, hope it goes i think they need to bring in a a good backs coach gervin dempsey's filling in the hole at the moment uh but i think it's important to get eyes from that two coaches at the moment are himself Gervin and uh, Richie Murphy all of which have been in the setup for so many years I think it would be good to get a, a different eye to come in uh, and join the team and that would be my only worry going forward but they've had a decent start in preseason yeah oh, it's definitely one to watch and they're, they're one of my favourite teams going around so I'll, I'll definitely be watching Okay, so like more more on the your role now um, with your current role with Nova Scotia. You're, you're the provincial head coach there, and kind of from previous conversations, you you do a bit of everything as well. How do like just backtracking a little bit? How when you arrived in Nova Scotia, what what was the current kind of climate for Nova Scotia rugby? How did you how did you find it? It wasn't what I was sold in the job description. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, it was the the one thing that certainly got me energized and got me refreshed in the sport was that uh, it was in need of change and people were were certainly ready for something new. Uh, the first day I took the job, which I re- rejected a couple of times first. Uh, I don't know, maybe it was me not wanting to admit that I wanted to leave. Um, so I would keep giving reasons of not wanting to come until one day I had a, a very good heart-to-heart with my boss in Leinster, who I respect fully and, and, and loved working with him, just said, if you're going to become head coach of any pro- professional team, you're going to have to have something different in your in your CV. So yeah. why not go while you're so young? Yeah. So since then i had my eyes opened and i was i was ready to go with with energy arriving here they hadn't had good results um senior provincial or the women's game was always strong was always decent but it never had to have a good standard because the other atlantic regions um weren't that high anyway so nova scotia were kind of in my view the best of a bad lot uh coming here i didn't realize it would be such a struggle to get people to represent their province uh more so at underage my first senior men's session i had 55 there um and 42 of them had not played the year before wow so that was a, a huge thing to to say we're ready for something different yeah and uh, we had to name a senior men's squad that first year 
Um, and uh, we ended up all my first goal my first year was to just change the mentality and get people willing to to train get willing get people willing to work hard uh, our first Eastern Canadian Championship I, I found very eye-opening I hadn't really seen the other provinces I was only in the country about four or five months uh, and we struggled to get an under 18 side in the men's we had just about an under 18 side in the women's we'd no under 16 men's we had an under 20 just about scrape side women's team and we had 18 senior women's players so it was massively eye-opening for me and it, it did show me what needed to happen from then on so are we uh, talking we're talking 2012 there yeah yeah my okay. first would have been my first one so it's uh well would have been sorry would have been 2013 2013 and how's yeah. it how's it changed since then what's uh what's been the the progress since then it's showing a clear pathway was 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 really important yeah showing the players could could represent their province represent the region and then represent their country um and getting players called up to the to national camps is massively important mm. uh, yeah. the year i arrived we had uh, one senior woman who was invited to a scrum camp that was it uh this year i sent an email out today we've 18 players on canadian squads that's amazing. Uh, which is a massive turnaround. That's and fantastic. It's a domino effect when when they see one of their peers get onto a Canada squad. The kids want it, and it makes them work harder. Uh, so it's and and it's not due to me coming in. It's due to a fresh face certainly helps. But we had a we have a, a president that's very willing, and we've got a community that wanted something different and that w- was was willing to listen. Yeah, it's a, no doubt it's a team effort, um, but but definitely what you've brought in, I, from what I'm hearing, is like just a cultural change. Like you have to have a a a culture that's willing to to get on board to to what your 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 goals are, even if they don't think they're attainable at this point. Um, yeah, and I and I fully it. expect um, people that want to play rugby and drink a beer. There's no issue with that. I yep. respect it fully. Lifeblood. Yeah, and it's the re, it's retention. Yep. Uh, that's how we keep players involved in the game. But I don't want players to want to play for Canada and not be given the opportunity or the training environment. Mm. So um, <clears throat> my second year, the line was, and uh, don't train um, because you don't want to play for Canada train hard because the guy beside you might want to yeah. and that was that was a line that i think we we certainly live by and by year two we our numbers and our our standards certainly lifted up yeah fantastic like currently what like if you were to take a litmus test of the environment now like as of today um where you at with age grade where you at with senior um What's, what do, and where do you want to go from here yeah numbers wise we're, we're in a really good place we uh we had 85 players try out for our senior men's program, uh, which created a. Uh, uh, we had a, three teams take part in a in a trial competition, which was in in uh, in March of the late March of this year, uh, which was with 200 spectators. So it was like that, wow. that's when I really knew that this things certainly changed. Yeah, and there was certainly a uh, an issue for me that the senior men's needed to beat Newfoundland. And I felt that the year before we probably had a more talented team, 
but mentally we just had to get over that hurdle. So, so uh, for people who don't know the environment, what, what's what's that mean? Newfoundland uh, in in the Atlantic provinces of Canada. What's what's the history there between Nova Scotia and Newfoundland, and also like Newfoundland in general? Yeah, well, it's it's fifteen years of uh, losses. Um, <laughs> Newfoundland arrived in, and uh, Pat Parfrey did a lot of great work in uh, bringing teams on tour. And uh, the this has really been a domino effect that players now play at a higher standard. And it was around the time where Nova Scotia saw a decline from the Super Series. So it was from then that um, it was it was a that was the last time that. Um, Nova Scotia won was a long time ago. It was fifteen years from this year, and um, so Morgan Williams would have been on the last team as a as a young buck. Mm. Um, and uh, they're the they're the the big ones of of Atlantic rugby um, in terms of the men's, the women's uh, Quebec uh, women's are 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 the 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 standard setting for sure uh, this year was the first time that Quebec women's entered Easterns in a number of years since Easterns actually started, I was told. And uh, we, Nova Scotia had an opportunity of playing against Quebec. I took over coaching the senior women's team as a real challenge, and it certainly was through mm. personalities and, and abilities. Yep. And uh, we, we played the Eastern Canadian Championship. And we lost the first game to Quebec by 28-5. to 5 or 35 to 10 rather and uh, we ended up winning the gold medal game two days later by uh, 14 to 7 so that was a quite a a turnaround yeah that was a massive turnaround and I'll be the first to admit Quebec were missing a number of their internationals Mm. uh, which were not of that standard yet and if we were to play them with the internationals it would have been a different story but they still had a number of international players there and uh, we were it was a re- we worked very hard with that. We had a number of weekend camps, so we were delighted with that result. The real success story, because under eighteen women's has been has been very successful over the last few years. Our real success story has been our under eighteen men's that went from losing to every province two years ago to winning gold the following year. Um, Quebec again are the standard setters, and we're delighted that they joined Easterns this year because it really gives us a team to show that they're that standard above and we ended up losing the gold medal game to Quebec Quebec won comfortably but it was a real um, a silver medal was a real achievement for, for the group of players yeah. so underage were there um, in terms of competing but we still for the next going forward we want to create the training environments that's not just a couple months prep we want to we want to start now and make sure we're ready yeah absolutely it's got to be a full time thing and just for just for people who aren't familiar with the environment, Easterns is Eastern Canadian Championship, and it involves uh, Eastern Ontario, Quebec, uh, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, and PEI. If I'm correct, is that that's yeah, everyone that's covered? Bang on. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So one of the, one of the main goals of this podcast is kind of sharing sharing uh, coaching kind of philosophies and and tidbits uh, for, for, for listeners out there. Um, so if if someone was to rock up and, and watch a session coached by you uh, and it was like a, a general skill session, not a specialist session, a general skill session, what, what's what's some of the things they'd see? What's some of the things they'd hear? What, what would be like some of the coaching philosophies that would, would be kind of shining through in a, in a session like that? 
uh, questions, um, but not so much from me. I think sometimes in, in coaching at the moment, we we create an environment where uh, when players ask a questions, we try and, and push the questions onto other players. I respect that, but there's yeah. some times where, where kids are just dying to know the information and players are dying to know the information. And so far, we can go so much further with the questions. And um, yeah. when, I, when I say questions, I... I mean that there's an environment that's comfortable with players asking questions to me or to the other players, and the other players are giving advice back. I, I'm a huge fan of that, and uh, in growing the game, we're not going to be able to do it one coach at a time. It, mm. it really does mean that all players need to need to be working with each other to develop. Yeah. The the main thing that you'd notice in a coaching session with me is is games. Yeah, games happening all the time game environments all the time if i ever use a bag uh, or a hit shield anything that i do it with it'll always be then the hit shield or the bag will be taken away and we do it in full contact yeah because i think sometimes and i know myself and i mean you know as well as i do you learn every time you you take a training session and when i look back at the first training sessions i took when i was 18 you almost get red-faced even thinking about it it's cringeworthy for sure yeah, absolutely <laughs> uh, but that's how you learn yeah uh, or you coach how you were coached often absolutely and uh every environment that we want to have i want to make sure that the players get an opportunity to try the skill to try it and um, in a game pace game scenario yeah, and that's i even- enjoy Breaking things down, and I do enjoy breaking things down, but I want to make sure that that is then the main focus of when we go into a full speed game scenario. Yeah, and that's even more important in the Canadian setting. These these kids don't play enough rugby; Um, they don't see enough rugby. So if at every session, eighty percent of their session is actually rugby, well, they they're going to get better. And. I, I try to do a lot of uh, when when players arrive in training sessions. It's the same all over the world. The props are practicing their drop kicking. <laughs> uh, the backs are are, are talking hair products. Their, yeah, tying their shoelaces for a significant amount of time. <laughs> uh, I want to try and have a skills routine where players will will arrive and instead of wasting time or or chatting around, I've no issue in the chatting. But why don't they do skills while doing it? And so for the first 15 minutes of my training session, usually would be 10 to 15 minutes would be skills and position oriented. What do they need to work on? Uh, as you go on to the season, I try and get the players to arrive five minutes early, 10 minutes early, 15 yep. minutes early. That's the way we can get into that routine and then not miss out on the on the timings for our training session. And those skills there, that's uh, player led with like a, a bit of a background of stuff that you've worked on earlier? Absolutely, yeah. Um, there'll be some little things from the training session. Uh, I, I enjoy coming down, seeing guys working on um, just little evasion skills. Um, Two-on-ones, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to just get extra time, yeah. get extra things done. Uh, no doubt. What about specialist sessions? I've, I've seen you run a few scrum half sessions. Uh, what, what, are, what are some of the, the key... So like a specialist session is a little bit different because it's a bit more isolated, but, but at the same time, yeah, they've got to be put into a game situation. Uh, what, are, what are some of the key things you focus on with uh, scrum half uh, work and, and how would you, you've got 20 minutes with a couple of scrum halves, how would you, how would you 
lay out that session? First of all, I'd make sure that I've got a, a camera with me and an iPhone would do. Uh, I was in a presentation last week where with Kieran Crowley and, and four people asked him about video analysis and Kieran was giving them all the wonderful thing about video analysis. But at the end of it, unfortunately, I had to say, well, Game Breaker does cost a significant amount of money. Um, iPhones, iPads, specialized session for me. Um, it kills me when you have to be on them when you're coaching a big group of players for a specialized one, I think it's crucial. Yeah. Um, doing the slow-mo app that you've got on your iPhone at the moment, it's so good in actually just seeing the pass. And before I mention anything, I just I try to get players to, from the base, very quick, three passes off each side, try and doing it even while they're moving. So they run around the post, they come back, they have to pass to try and give that little bit more game scenario yeah. then fire from them straight from either popped up from the rook or straight off a line out seeing what the habits are to try and get it away and these are things that i'll make sure that i record break down in slow motion and then get the player themselves because i feel like individual any player that you've got on an individual session has usually researched what they should be doing yeah. they should have the right answers and and especially the higher the higher end of it Showing them on a on a slow mo video will will very much give the player the opportunity to answer his own issues to to try and sort it out. Uh, I think foot placement in scrum half at the moment is is crucial. We want to make sure we give every opportunity to give every extra inch in the pass, making sure that we don't fall away from the pass, making sure that we're in a good stable position from the base good strong position that if somebody does come around to make the tackle we're in the ability to to make sure we maintain possession once we do just simple passes from the base i try and get pressure either creating a fight over the ball so that players are used to work under that pressure just two players fighting yep. or even just two bags fighting where there's feet coming in having just a, a tackle tube on the deck so that players can just push over, drive over, then that ball has to get away. Again, it's just getting this habit of a quick rearrangement in the hands and a quick ball away. Yeah, yeah, no, sounds great. What, um, like from the work you've done, what are what are probably some of the? You mentioned a few areas you you like to see. What are what are some of the, you know, top two, top three common faults that you see in 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 scrum halves, especially age grade guys. I call it, for want of a better phrase, I call it the cock the pass, yep. where we have the ball in hand and the the the, um, the backhand actually cocks all the way through over to our uh, to our our leading hand, and what happens is the follow through just just doesn't become exactly what we want it to be, but also it takes an extra half a second in the player getting the ball away. Uh, that's been a real issue so far, but also picking up the ball and not getting it away quick enough. If we pick up the ball, are you a threat? If you're not, make sure we get the ball away quicker. But even just from the base, picking it up, getting the ball away, how long is that taking? It shouldn't take longer than a second. Even that decision, longer than a second, we get it away. And that's one thing that we're definitely getting, we need to get away with because I think back rows are made look better than they actually are. Yeah, Yeah. so you don't want to see... The pick up, the reload, and then the, then the pass. You want to see it straight off the floor. Absolutely, and and what's happening is 
we're holding the ball for so many seconds without being a threat. Mm. I really want the scrum half to, at certain stages of the game, to be attacking not the first but the set outside the second defender, and then somebody running a good hard line or a good underline off him. It just means that those defenders aren't getting away or starting a drift defense too early. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And you know, you're either you're either doing that or you're getting it to your first receiver as quickly as you can. Absolutely, for sure. All right, well that's that's great stuff, and yeah, appreciate appreciate the little bits of information there. Um, so the way we kind of going to finish off the show, uh, just a couple of fun questions. Um, just where we're we're all in this game because we love it, and usually that that love affair starts when you're a kid. Um, so I'm gonna like ask every guest like these these same questions. Um, when when you were uh, when you were a kid, who was your favourite player? Very strange one. Uh, hooker Keith Wood. Oh, beauty! Um, I was I was able to watch him score four tries in a World Cup. Um, you don't say that about many hookers. <laughs> you uh, don't. <laughs> and uh, against against us, it had to be George Regan. Yeah. Uh, just the way yeah. the, the famous. If somebody has got a pass named after him, he's obviously done something well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I right now I'm thinking about. World Cup '99 France final, the 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 Gregan pass to Holm Finnegan to to set up that try under the post. I'll uh, never so forget the commentary phenomenal. that says, "Keep going, big man." <laughs> yeah, absolutely, that was great. All right, what what about now? Who's your who's your favorite player or players running around now? Not a not a scrum half, Johnny Sexton. I just love the way he marshals for the game. Yep. Obviously, keeping it uh, in house. Um, yep. I'm ju- uh, I've completely. I can't not but mention Brian O'Driscoll for everything he's done over the over the years, um. But uh, Conrad Smith for me has been somebody that I've completely changed my mind on. I yeah. remember watching, uh, looking at the lineups between Ireland and New Zealand one time, and O'Driscoll was marking Smith, and I said, "This we're in here. This is the best centre in the world against Conrad Smith, who I didn't rate at the time." Final score, New Zealand won by 70 points. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of that came from Carter to, to Smith. I think he's an unsung hero. Yeah, uh, no, but yeah. from all around getting people in the game, you've got to mention someone like Israel Folau. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The way he attacks it, the way he catches the ball, uh, his athletic ability to, to gain every yard, that's why players will play the game. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. it won't be due to my slow pass from the uh from the base of any scrum or it mightn't be from the way uh from the way Keen Healy scrummages but uh it certainly will be from such an exciting player like that. Yeah, he's he's pretty unreal, that's for sure. Um okay, now on the coaches, uh who's your who's your favourite coach going around right now? I love Joe Smith. Um and and because of that obviously there's a bit of um personal um, work with him in the past so maybe that's because of it uh, I really respect Kieran Crowley here in Canada um, I really enjoy his philosophy on rugby I, I really appreciate the fact that he likes developing other coaches um, and for somebody to be still there after 8 years that means something Yeah, it's a long Incredibly time open to Absolutely, yeah. Um, that's a long time in international rugby, but I have to show a lot of respect for uh, um, for Conor O'Shea and the way he's turned around Harlequins. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's, he's someone that I've always enjoyed, the fact that he's turned around an entire program. And I don't want to be quoted 
this, but Stuart Lancaster has <laughs> has completely turned around England. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I, I respect. I really respect what he's done. Um, he's taken a job. He's made sure that it's his way. Uh, and if you look at his World Cup selections, he didn't need. He didn't go on on full round ability. You could pick a, an England fifteen on ability and probably 10 of them aren't actually at the World Cup yeah. and if it works he's a hero if it doesn't he's sacked but yeah. uh, I have to respect him from the yeah, outside for sure and I, I love his story too you know yeah he's like he played for the Saxons but he's not he's not a former international nope. like, capped England player he's a he's a humble school teacher who just chipped away in the trenches for a bunch of time and then you know, very much like yourself Andy oh thanks very much <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. All right. Well, on on that note, let's uh, talk about up and coming coaches. Someone in your area who you think's doing a great job. One thing that I have to say here is um, we have a a lot of young female coaches, and we have a girl called Mary Giles who has taken on the role of um, I don't know what time of the year where she's not coaching. She's coaching in uh, Dal University as the head coach of the women's team. She is one of our coaches for the under eighteen women's. Uh, and then she is. She's coached uh, a high school. She's a teacher as well, but was coaching at a different high school. But to keep a program going in one high school, she went back to make sure she coached this high school. Uh, she's somebody that played plays currently for the Atlantic and has won a uh, national title with San Jose women's team. Um, young girl thinks she's going to be a, a superstar, and we. We of the province need to make sure that we we keep giving her every opportunity to develop. And uh, if I was to pick a predecessor to me, or sorry, if I was to pick somebody to follow on from me and, and take this job to the next level, I think in the next few years, Mary could be that person. Oh, that's outstanding, and that's uh, you know, there's a bunch of people out there who who do some coaching, but people who live and breathe it and just grind away at it 12 months of the year, they're they're, they're pretty rare. Um, so, Absolutely, you know, that's great. That's great to hear. Well, all right, mate. Well, uh, huge thanks for being um, number one uh, uh, on the interview ranks and uh, really appreciate that. And, um, I, I really enjoyed it and uh, hope you got a, got, a, got a bit of a laugh out of it to yourself. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming on. No problem. All right. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.